Hello, this is my name is Cliff Smith. I'm the Washington Project Director of the Middle East Forum. And today, um, thank, um, we are joined by Juliana Tamarazzi. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, she is an Assyrian Christian who was from Iran originally, settled in the US in 1989, and has been an advocate for Middle Eastern Christians, in particular in Iraq, where many Assyrian Christians are um, for many, many years now. We just wanted to have a chance to hear from her and have her tell her story. So thank you for coming. And Juliana, what do you have to say about this issue? Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. It's my first time presenting to uh, your audience through your organization, so I'm grateful. Uh, what I'd like to do is to share um, some slides with all of you. Um, uh, that's going to uh, give you a good context about what has happened to our people. I don't know how many of you have heard of the right and red and white martyrdom. Uh, red martyrdom is when uh, people are actually killed and their blood is spilled for their faith. And a white martyrdom is when we're harassed and we're persecuted, which I'd like to briefly talk about my own background. I was, as you said, Cliff, uh, I was born and raised in Iran. I was harassed for being a Christian. Uh, after 1979 revolution, everything changed for us really. And uh, I was uh, mocked for doing the act of the cross or my Muslim neighbors would spit on the floor when I would walk by myself and my Jewish friend when we would walk by them. So finally, in 1989, my father decided to smuggle me out of Iran. I was smuggled first by air to Switzerland, where I stayed along with my mother at a monastery and then smuggled again into Germany where I became a religious uh, refugee and then uh, came to the States in 1990. Um, so I, I'd like to talk about the Christian persecution globally first, and then I'll dive into Iraq specifically about the Assyrians and Chaldeans there. Um, according to uh, the sources, uh, I believe this is um, uh, um, uh, Open Doors. Uh, in 2019, there were 4,136 Christians that were killed for their faith and um, 1,266 churches uh, or other Christian buildings were attacked. 2,625 Christians were detained without any trial. Uh, basically one out of nine Christians were persecuted. Um, and if we talk about, um, if you, we look at the numbers, uh, you all know about the Armenian genocide. Uh, Armenians uh, were killed, over a million of them, million and a half, I believe, and two out of three Assyrians were killed alongside of Greeks as well. Uh, that's something that most of you are may not be aware of. So in 1910, there was 13.6% uh, Christians there today. Probably we actually have less than what the numbers show here. Um, I believe by 2025, we're going to have less than 3% in the Middle East. And it's really sad because uh, Iraq specifically and throughout and entirely in the Middle East, Middle East really is cradle of Christianity. And I call Iraq the second holy land for all the biblical activities that have happened there. Uh, a lot of people ask if prior to Saddam Hussein, the Christians of Iraq, who are the Assyrians, Chaldeans, and Syriacs, um, if they had religious freedom, if they had ethnic freedom. This is a good time for me to tell you who the Assyrians are, if um, maybe your audience are not familiar with us. The Assyrian history is over 6,772 years, and our ancestral homeland is northern Iraq, southern Turkey, northwestern Iran, and northeastern Syria. But we have been, so Nineveh, ancient Nineveh, 
And you may all know that uh, uh, from the Old Testament, Jonah went to Nineveh to preach to the uh, Assyrians there. Um, fall of Nineveh was 612 before Christ. And ever since then, we have lived in the mercy of our overlords. Uh, in the region, though, our exodus out of Mesopotamia, today's Middle East, began in late 1800s because um, of the Ottoman Empire's uh, uh, genocide, the start of the genocide against the Ar Armenians, Assyrians, and Greeks. Also, the Kurds uh, really did not stand by idly by. They really massacred us, and they continue harassing us today in our ancestral homeland, Iraq, and also Turkey. So uh, fast forward to Saddam Hussein, though. Um, Saddam Hussein was a Ba'athist, as you all know. And what does that mean? He wanted uh, Arabization of all the minorities and everyone in Iraq. So even though Iraqi Christians had fairly uh, religious freedom uh, to an extent, but we were not allowed to name our children with the Assyrian names, or we did not. Uh, we were not allowed to publish our books. So, publishing uh, publishing houses closed during Saddam Hussein. Uh, radio um, uh, Assyrian radio programs uh, closed. So we really didn't have that much freedom under Saddam. But it was really nothing like what we are experiencing today in Iraq. So many of the diaspora Assyrians. Uh, cheered on uh, the U.S. when U.S. invaded Iraq, but we really did not expect for it to have this calamity, uh, to face this calamity. So what has happened? After the invasion of Iraq, um, loss of life, we sustained major loss of life. Uh, our churches were bombed. Our national history, and I'll show you some images later, um, uh, have been destroyed. Economic loss, monumental economic loss we have sustained. Uh, academic skills, knowledge, people are still displaced internally. Demographic change, what does that mean? For example, when Christians escape their homeland, their lands, their homes, who comes and replaces them? They're Muslims. Uh, they're Shiite Muslims backed by Iran. They're Sunnis that have moved in. Kurds have taken our lands away from us. Historically, they've been taking our lands away from us, actually. And uh, so let me give you the number. So in 2005, we were, in, in 2003 rather, we were about one and a half million Assyrian, Chaldean, and Syriac Christians in Iraq. We are children of that land. And today we have about 80,000 people left. That's over 90% of a drop in our population. Uh, today, there are about 22,000 uh, refugees that are living in Lebanon, Turkey, and Jordan. And I visit them. Uh, often and uh, and I bring um, assistance to them. So um, just so your audience knows, uh, I will be showing some graphic images. So please be, please note that. Um, in 2003, until 2014, uh, many of our clergy members were killed. This is Father Ghani, a Chaldean Catholic priest that was shot to death 17 times by 17 bullets. In 2010, uh, in 2010 on October 31st, our Lady of Salvation Cathedral came under attack. Uh, 58 people were killed. Um, they were held hostage for five hours uh, without anyone really intervening. This is baby Adam, and he became the face of that movement, uh, of that uh, massacre. So we have been sustaining um, attacks, but I, uh, ISIS came really to uh, put the nail in the coffin. At the time of ISIS attack in 2014, we were about 400,000 that were left. But with ISIS attack, 
in and this map should really show you when I say Nineveh Plain, many of you may have heard Nineveh Plain. Nineveh Plain is really the heartland of the Assyrian Empire, of the Assyrian nation. This right here, it's right outside Mosul. It's about a 1,200 square mile area. When ISIS came in, um, it, it really pushed out almost everyone out of that area, uh, almost all Christians, except the town of Alkosh um, did not fall. That's the town that did not fall. Everything else fell. And really, they destroyed Nineveh Plain. Um, so ISIS came, destroyed Nineveh Plain, and uh, when they first attacked Mosul, much like when Jews were uh, branded with the Star of David, we were branded, our homes in Mosul were branded with the Arabic letter N. Arabic letter N represents, this is, um, this stands for Nazarenes. Uh, Cliff, please let me know how many more minutes I have left, because I have a few slides to show. Uh, yeah, you have about uh, six, seven minutes left. Okay, okay, great. Thank you. So the people that were inside these homes either escaped or uh, if they were uh, unlucky to be able to escape, um, this is the form of torture. They would rape the woman in front of the family, in front of the husband and the children, and then they would uh, torture and kill uh, the man. Um, in a couple of cases, they actually crucified the Christian man to their door. So Imagine the trauma that the children and those who are left alive, who were left alive, what they sustained. They took uh, the Yazidi. Yazidis are the other group of minorities in Iraq. Um, they are ethnically uh, Yazidi and they're religiously Yazidi. Uh, they were taken into sex slavery along with Christian women in Iraq and also in Syria. So I talked about ancient Nineveh. I talked about the loss of our heritage. This is the gates of Nineveh that were standing for 3,000 years. And ISIS, in a matter of a week, bulldozed over the ancient walls of Nineveh. And uh, I've been there. I walked through these, uh, these rubbles. And really, uh, there are two separate things here. There's religious persecution. There's Christian persecution. And there is the destruction of my ethnicity, of my nation, the loss of heritage. Uh, you know, uh, Iraq and Mesopotamia, land between two river, rivers, is known as cradle of civilization. And this is the loss, not just our loss as Assyrians, but, but also the loss for the entire world. So when ISIS attacked, uh, people escaped. They slept for weeks like this. Imagine you attend the church, your churches, you leave in an hour. These people had to sleep for weeks like this. They were sleeping outdoors. They were sleeping in uh, church halls and dormitories. This is baby Christina uh, from Nineveh Plain, a town called Baghdede, Karakosh. Um, her mother who is handicapped, her father is blind. Uh, she, they were escaping, they were on the bus already and the terrorist, uh, ISIS terrorist came and grabbed Christina took her with him, the handicapped mother running after him. And he turned around and said, you dirty Christian, if you don't get back on the bus, I will kill you, kill you like the dog that you are. They were able to recover uh, Christina, but she had sustained uh, from Mosul, actually, after ISIS was uh, dismantled for a brief time, because ISIS is very much alive now under just the basic name of Islamic State, IS. Um, she was severely traumatized. She wouldn't speak. She would sit and stare at the wall. Uh, but uh, we don't know if she was bodily harmed. We hope not. So 
what does my ministry? So I founded my ministry, Iraqi Christian Relief Council in 2007, after speaking with Cardinal Francis George at the time, who was the president of the USCCB um, at the Archdiocese of Chicago. And they invited me to a meeting and they encouraged me to start uh, Iraqi Christian Relief Council to really educate Americans about who we are and what is, what is it that we need. So our organization is an advocacy organization as well as a a humanitarian organization and we raise funds we're not um we don't receive uh funding from government uh, agencies um from usa for example so we really really heavily rely on small dollar dollar donations from churches from foundations that have adopted us um we have helped i'm blessed to say we have helped hundreds of thousands of people over the last 15 years uh, since 2007. We provide medication, we provide uh, heart um, uh, surgeries, uh, chemotherapy for patients. We provide rent uh, or uh, shelter for people inside Iraq and outside. Uh, we do things like now winter is coming, they need kerosene and uh, uh, heating oil. So we help them with that. Um, we also do sustainable aid inside Iraq. We dig wells for hygiene water, uh, we repair damaged homes, uh, damaged homes, schools, monasteries. We create small businesses because I believe in pulling myself up with my bootstraps. And I did that here in the United States. And we don't want, and Assyrians are really proud people. Um, they were once farmers. They had their own businesses. They were doctors, lawyers, engineers. Um, and really they, there's something about their dignity that is being lost. So by helping them create small businesses, as small as really as little as $2,500, we're able to start businesses for them. We provide education to children. These are some images of the work that we've done. This used to be a camp, it's closed now, in Erbil in Northern Iraq. We helped uh, help, uh, helped uh, rebuild build, uh, that uh, Ashti camp. It was called Ashti camp. We help repairing homes. Uh, this is when we provide food and they line up to receive food if they're not able to work. Um, and the food parcel is costs about 60 to $65. Now everything is more expensive. It contains rice, as you see, rice bags, uh, tea, pasta, um, uh, dried milk and oil and, and things like that. The other image is dried food that an NGO here in the United States, a ministry, gave us dried food and we shipped them to Jordan, eight tons of dried food for refugees there. Um, we help with cancer patients. This is uh, Annabelle who now actually is in Canada. Uh, the two, the left two pictures. Uh, we saw her through the entire chemotherapy sessions and she's healthy now. Uh, these, this is when we dig wells for hygiene water, again, repairing homes and monasteries. We bring Christmas to Iraq. Uh, for children. Uh, we serve in Jordan and Turkey. We give food vouchers for them. Um, if they need rent, we pay their rent on a monthly basis. Um, we pay their medication. This man who's um, uh, in his bed, um, he was healthy, uh, He, bec but because of immense stress, he ended up with a stroke and now he's bed bound. Uh, these are vouchers that we hand out and we keep track of who receives what. So there's no double dipping. I receive their names, their phone numbers that we help uh, and their ID. Really their joy is our joy. This is a monast this is a, um, an orphanage. It used to be an orphanage in Nineveh Plain, but now uh, it's a St. Francis of Siena Dominican order. 
uh, we work ecumenically, we work with evangelicals, with Catholics, with the Church, the Church of the East as well, and the Syriacs to provide assistance to them. So uh, this was, uh, I really qu quickly uh, spoke to you, but uh, if you are interested, if your hearts are moved, which I hope they are, uh, your hearts are moved, uh, please help us with creating speaking engagements because the suffering continues. Islamic State is very active, albeit it hasn't attacked the Christians yet, but it's just a matter of time. And based on my sources, as of recent, as of the last two weeks, uh, minimum 49 families have just left everything, or if they were able to sell things out of Iraq and they've moved to Lebanon and to Jordan, knowing that uh, their, their conditions are dire living in those countries because they're not really refugees, they're asylum seekers. So the United Nations does not help. If it helps, it helps very little. So a lot of, and they're not allowed to work because they're not uh, res um, citizens of the countries that they live in. Um, so they're really, really in desperate conditions. I visit them and every time I come back with a heartbreak. Um, so if you uh, would create speaking engagements in, in your communities and churches, please do so. If you want to help us raise funds or if you want to donate to us, our website is iraqichristianrelief.org, iraqichristianrelief.org refugee adoption program we have that you can sponsor a family on a monthly basis to be sustained until they get relocated or resettled or if you want to help us create small businesses inside Iraq for those who are left behind we can do that if you are prayer warriors please pray for people as well as our ministry um, and if you have connections to the media uh, we really welcome uh, any media exposure um, currently in Iraq uh, Turkey is attacking from the north Iran is uh, very much infiltrated, as you know, inside Iraq through Shabex. Uh, they have built in Nineveh Plain. They have built uh, a, a school called, called Imam Khomeini School in Nineveh Plain. Uh, they're doing demographic change. The, Ira the, the central government is very much in the back pocket of Iran. So they're not really helpful to the Christians in Iraq. Uh, and the Kurds are oppressing us. They're arresting our... Um, they've arrested several times on several occasions. Our activists, our uh, our journalists, they take our lands away. And uh, yes, the Kurds are allies to the United States, uh, persecuted people themselves under Saddam Hussein, uh, but they fall short in honoring our human rights. And when you talk to the people in Iraq, if they trust you, they will tell you the truth. Otherwise, um, they're afraid of speaking up because they are discriminated against. So they give us the information in the diaspora to be able to communicate this with you. I hope I made, I hope I didn't go over a cliff. Oh, no, that's fine. We have, um, let's get to audience questions. We already have a number of audience questions, but um, if you have any that you have not yet asked, please type it into the Q&A box and I will get to as many as I can. Um, and well, before we start, let, let me just ask one thing. I noticed during your slideshow that um, uh, you mentioned that you guys work in, um, I believe, Iraq, Turkey, and uh, Jordan. Uh, and two Lebanon. countries not on that list are Syria and Iran. And that is, of course, where at least some of these um, are, I believe. And so I'm assuming this does not happen because of um, you know, even harsher persecution by the government. Can you explain how that works and how it doesn't work? So we're not able to work in those two countries because of the U.S.'s view against Syria and against Iran. We're not able to transfer funds there because of 
the sanctions that have been placed on them. Um, in terms of Iran, I have my contacts there in Iran. So I speak up against the tyranny, against the all Iranians, really. And let me clarify something about Iran. So do you know, Cliff, do you know, or the audience, um, I don't know if you know the term cradle Christian. So I was born in Iran into my Christian family, so I'm a cradle Christian. And cradle Christians usually, uh, uh, they are not they're not killed, if you will, right? Because they were born into a Christian family. Majority of us just keep our head down. We don't do anything uh, against the government, but the government has spies inside our churches. They review our bulletin. They review the the messages that come, the homily, for example. Um, but the real, but the real um, persecution of Christians when you hear that in Iran is against those apostates, against those who leave the Islamic faith. And that is substantial. I know personally a few people that have left Islam and they were arrested. They were released later. So, um, but now with the up, with this new uprising, and I will call it a revolution, it is no longer a, a protest. It is really a revolution that is underway. Uh, I don't think that the Iranian government will be able to stop what it has transpired, they have killed, massacred, massacred young people. And the Avin prison is really a location for not thugs, but for scholars, for uh, uh, revolutionaries, for people that are really against this regime. So that's Iraq, uh, Iran. Um, Syria, um, there are, Syrian Christians are split, really. There's a group of them that, uh, believe if, uh, if Assad goes, there's going to be another Iraq on their hand and they will be killed en masse. But then they, there's a very strong opposition to uh, this current Syrian regime as well. So Christians there are really split. I see. Um, let's get to some of the audience questions. Again, if you have any more, please, um, please put those in. Um, let's see. Um, you already kind of reached on one, but you said how... Um, you discussed Kurdish mistreatment of uh, Syrians um, in Iraq, in Iraq, um, and um, how does that manifest itself? And uh, is there anything that can be done to minimize it? Are there any voices within the Kurdish community to change the way they handle these issues? And can you describe it a little bit more? Sure. Um, number one, what they do is they take our lens. So people uh, come in, move in and they see if the house is vacant, they just take it over. Or they come and they um, say, you do not belong here. This is our land and they're forced out. Uh, there are some that are sold legitimately. That's not what we're concerned with. And when we bring these grievances to the Kurdish, uh, Kurdistan regional government, en masse, they ignore really our plea. Uh, that's from land theft perspective. The second um, uh, oppression is curtification. There's real curtification that goes on of our young people. For example, uh, one of their chieftains back in uh, 19, 1918, uh, when the, he killed, his name is Simcoe, when he killed our patriarch, he is now hailed as, a, hailed as a hero. And that is the history that is being taught to our young kids. Imagine if Jewish kids in Germany uh, were forced to learn that Hitler was a hero. It is really, there's no difference here. Um, and as soon as our, uh, our journalists or our uh, activists raise these grievances inside Iraq, they're taken in, they're arrested. Or they're changing the name. Every inch of Iraq you walk on and excavate, it is Assyrian 
heritage, Assyrian history. Assyrian mon monuments are unearthed. And on many occasions they have come and they've painted uh, a Kurdish flag on those and they change, they do historical changes. So uh, absolutely, we really need strong voices inside the uh, Kurdish people. Mm -hmm. My, our issue is not with the Kurdish people. Our issue is with the policies, oppressive policies of the Kurdistan Democratic Party. Um, and that's such, a, I think this deserves really a, a standalone discussion. But uh, on a very quick note, we absolutely need help. Yes, they are our allies, as I said, but an oppressed nation should not now be uh, oppressing other oppressed nations. And with uh, the amount of money that is being given to the Kurds, uh, I think we have a really strong hand that we can, a strong card, if you will, that we can use. To, we, can, we should use our, uh, leverage our connections there um, as, as, US, as the US. But you know, I have to tell you, Cliff and the audience, repeatedly, we have been told um, that we are dispensable people. I have been told in 2015 that your people are dispensable people. Your numbers are small. You are not a rich nation in Iraq. You do not have oil or you don't have control of the oil that lives, that really is underneath Nineveh Plain uh, ground uh, the, uh, because we have crude oil in Nineveh Plain and natural gas, but we don't have control over it, obviously. Um, and by the U.S. policymakers, I was told that your people are dispensable to the U.S. policy. Um, understood. Um, what religious communities in the United States and the West have paid the most attention to the plight of Christian communities in the Middle East? And what factors contribute um, to communities' interest in the suffering of Christians or disinterest? Let me take the disinterest first. Uh, I think um, the disinterest comes from uh, the media. Um, there's something unholy, if you will, about the name Christian. And automatically, uh, we as Middle Eastern Christians, obviously we look different, we sound different, we're in a place called a black hole called Iraq, a black hole called Syria and Turkey. So we really are not on the forefront of things and our numbers are small. So we're not really important. Um, the, the groups that really care uh, about the Middle East Christians, and I, and I must tell you, uh, in 2007, when I started my ministry, I knocked on everyone's door, the evangelicals, um, the Catholics and others. And Catholics would say to me, why don't you guys just pack your bags and come to the West and live here as Christians? You're going to continue existing as Christians here. But our answer was to them, but we have a homeland. And when we come here, we assimilate and we lose our Aramaic language. Look, we, we became Christians through St. Thomas the Apostle. We've been Christians for 2,000 years, and we've paid a very heavy price for this. So, And we have this rich ethnicity that we have. So if we come to the West, yes, we will continue as Christians, but we're going to lose our Aramaic language, our beautiful heritage here. Um, evangelicals would say, well, you're not really born-again Christians. You did not accept Christianity as adults. You're, you were baptized as infants, so you're just cultural Christians. And yet my argument to, to that narrative is we are crucified for our faith. We lose everything for our faith and we don't renounce it. So how could you not stand with your brothers? Um, I believe ISIS with its brutality that was on display changed the entire equation. And um, 
that's when the evangelicals and Catholics really started seeing what we've been really going through for a long, long time. So I would say um, Catholics number uh, or evangelicals number one, they really care um, about Nineveh, uh, about Isaiah 1925, where Jews, Christians and, and Egyptians, uh, Jews, Assyrians and Egyptians will come together to worship the Lord. Uh, so there are really some profound things in the Bible that uh, that evangelicals adhere to and they care about the Eastern Christians. Uh, and the Catholics have their own reasons to care about us because Pope John Paul said, church breathes with both lungs and the right lung of the church is the church of the East. So, um, but you know what? I must be honest with you. There's so much more that we need to do to help our people there. Um, one last one, I think we'll have to go. Um, um, is there um, any Muslim organization that has been sympathetic or helpful towards protecting Christians in the East, um, either here or abroad? You know, there's, they always sign declarations. They always sign, uh, they give these messages that we have to protect. We have to protect you uh, and you're our brother, um, brothers and sisters. Uh, there's a lot of lip service that is paid. I think inside uh, Muslim societies, they have to do a lot of work to, in the rural areas especially, um, to give the message of brotherhood, to give the message of humanity, to give the message of, look, these are people of the book. And we have been told by the prophets that we need to protect them, for example, if that's what they believe in. Um, so, um, and I'll tell you, there was a sheikh, there was a Shiite sheikh that came to Chicago and requested to meet with me from Najaf. And he said, Iraq is like a flower. And Christianity is the scent of the flower. So please encourage your people not to leave. But my argument to them and others that encourage us to stay there is, what are you doing to help us feel safe? What are you doing to help us feel at home? Because we're not guests here. We are children of this land. So, um, but I, I think there are more, there needs to be more um, uh, Muslims that come out to, in support of us. And I'm hopeful with the Abraham Accords that have been signed recently. I'm hopeful that the narrative is changing. Real quick, we have time for one last one. This, this was related to what you were saying. Someone asked if there was any signs of Muslim intellectuals working to reform um, doctrines that lead to Christian persecution. I, I suppose this sheikh might be sort of a half step in that direction. Do you have any further thing to add to that? Yes, I think so. I think um, there are those discussions that earnestly have started with clergy in Jordan, for example. I know Father Haddad and Father Badr, they, um, uh, one is Catholic, one is Malkite, and they both are very active in this ecumenical, in this interfaith dialogue. Uh, and a lot of that is starting to happen. And I believe with the Iranian uprising, that is something that we as Middle East Christians have to really hold on to and unite our voices really with the Iranian protesters uh, because they are protesting a form of Islam that has really destroyed Iran at this time. And uh, Iran, and you know, Iranian church is the fastest growing church on the ground church. And a lot of Iranian young people are really walking away from religion period really there are a lot of them are becoming atheists unfortunately um i say atheists because i personally believe in god and um and i would like for people to uh believe in that too but but that's that's freedom of expression that needs to be honored and iranians are really uh, rising up against that form of islam that has really exported terror that has terrorized 
um, much of the world. I remember in 1979, Khomeini, uh, Ayatollah Khomeini said that uh, we will export our form of Islam to four corners of the world. And he has done that through, his, through their terror export. Thank you very much. Very sobering picture. Thanks for sharing your story. And uh, see you later on this week for more webinars and podcasts with Middle East Forum. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you.